Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Hello, ladies. Here we are. Back together. <laughs> oh, yeah. Forgot we did a, a remote episode. We're at Grace's house, surrounded by beautiful flowers. I don't actually see my flowers here that I got you. No. You left them at the place. I felt really... So what happened was we had my birthday party at this cafe that we always go to in Notting Hill. We rent, like, had it for the night. And then... I put your flowers and a couple of other people's flowers in their vases that they had. And then the next day when I went back to pick up the stuff, they were like, it was the middle of the day and they were all on everyone's tables. Oh my God. So I was like, I can't go and take the flowers out of the pots without the vases that aren't my vases. Maybe yours was in a vase. Did it come in a vase? Oh yeah. But I didn't know what was what. So I just felt so awkward taking it off people who were eating tables. So I just said, you guys can have my flowers. What did they say? They didn't really know what was going on. Right. Don't like just get out of here. Here's your cake. <laughs> get out of here. Your gifts. Yes. I baked. I'm a full-time baker now. Yeah. Izzy was the MVP of the night, baked an amazing, actually two amazing cakes. I also felt like a celebrity because heaps of your friends I hadn't met yet and they listened to the pod yes. and they were all like, we love the pod. I was like, <laughs> I love this event. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that too, but it was, Yeah. Fun. I have really bad party anxiety. Yeah, I'm very surprised you did that. So am I. It was really cute, but you it was like a big dinner thing with 30-ish, 35 people, yeah. which is nightmarish in my brain. But I obviously freak out about things a lot more than you because my boyfriend was like, how is Grace handling? She must feel so stressed. And I was like, no, Grace doesn't. Grace will just be like, everything will be fine. Yeah, I was like, fuck it. We'll just get there. And then I got there and everything was just done. And I was like, oh, this is nice. But I get. No, and then you were like, um, this is you down to a T. 
I was like, Grace, we have to leave here at 10 p.m. And you were like, what? And I was like, yeah, they, we, we've only hired this till 10 p.m. How do you not know? And you're like, I didn't ask. Yeah, I was like, we would stay till we wanted to. Yeah, that and it was really early, fu- early curfew. Early curfew. We went to the pub, but no, it was it was really nice. Um, and you went to Hamilton the night before. And the before. biggest thing, it was literally, I was, we were in Mallorca and then coming back. And then it was, the next day was Hamilton. And the next day was the dinner, the party dinner. And then the next day was going to Arsenal, the soccer game. And I was like, there's so many exciting things in my life. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. A jam-packed weekend. A jam-packed weekend. And yeah, Hamilton, I was literally so excited I couldn't breathe. It was so embarrassing. I was like listening to the soundtrack all day. <laughs> and I was like so jittery. And I was like slapping Zach's leg before it started. And they went crazy oh, and bought so fun. a 60-pound bottle of champagne at the theatre. Wow. It was verve. <laughs> but it's really cute. You have two glasses and then in the – intermission you come back and then that's waiting for you in ice and then you have two more glasses oh that's really cute it was really cute so hamilton my problematic fave Mm -hmm. is my probably my chewiest trait trait is liking musical theater slash liking hamilton and it was good but i think because i'd seen i'd listened so much to the american broadway performance and seen the american broadway performance videoed not live I was a little bit disappointed. It was a bit Aww. of a talent gap between the UK and the US America. and the UK. I think the UK ones that are West End shows that are created in the UK for UK performers are like amazing. But then when they bring American ones here, it's. Is it Elijah kind of from Girls them. that's in Hamilton? No, it's He's um, in something else. Jonathan Groff, who's. You'll recognize him. He's in. Mindhunter and mm. some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest are like theatre people. Wait. Oh, The Book of Mormon is Elijah from Girls. I think we should watch, see The Book of Mormon maybe. Yeah. I want to go to the theatre. I haven't been to the theatre once since I've lived here. I yeah, I've only been twice, but we, we have, it's been closed 90% of the time. Yeah, I wanted to go to that Timothy Chalamet one. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's happened yet because it was shut because no, of COVID. No, it was shut, wasn't it? That's right. There was oh. Saoirse was in one recently. You've got to, like, get on them in two seconds oh, or they God, go. I know, yeah. It's madness. But we didn't go to the theatre or Broadway, but we did go to Westfield yesterday. <laughs> and I fucking yeah. love being in a mall. I'll tell you that. I, like, would what, prefer What to do you be... like about being in a mall? I don't know. It reminds me of childhood and the food courts being independent like being 14 yes. or 13 and being dropped in a mall and you're allowed free reign yeah i also yeah. like that the shops are all just jam-packed in one area for a girl because so before the movie i was like oh i need to go to boots oh i need to do this so i was doing all these errands get to accessorize and get a <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah we were walked back past typo on the way out and i was just like glaring in there thinking i needed something i can't believe all these shops that still exist i can't I believe accessorize still exists that was barely a thing when we were a teenager yeah, but yeah mostly the food court which in the uk they don't have the most delicious part of new zealand westfield food courts which is the indian curry counter which serves the rice and the huge naan and then whatever curry you want on top and it just tastes so synthetic and sweet and delicious mm-hmm. remember getting a few butter chickens in my time there during yeah back in the day um so anyway we went to see spencer on a work trip at 3 p.m <laughs> because we wanted to obviously talk about it on the pod. Kristen Stewart's new movie. Kirsten? Christ- 
Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart's new movie. Yeah. What did you think? I... Did you fall asleep for a second? Yeah, I fell asleep for a bit. I was like, your did breath- I snore no, when I woke up? Your breathing just turned like sleepy breathing. Because oh, the whole so movie's funny. so slow and yeah, quiet. Exactly. The movie's slow. I'd had a bad night's sleep the night before and I fell asleep. <laughs> We're such old women. I was like, I'm 100. Okay, so I think on a top level, my response is, which I feel like with movies a lot, is that I could appreciate that it was a very technically well-made, masterfully done, great movie. Like if I was a film reviewer, I would give it a high score. (laughs) But from a pure enjoyment perspective, I wasn't like enthralled from the start and loving it. And it felt more like walking through an art exhibition, that feeling, than it felt seeing a movie that you loved. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I um. Felt like it was so slow. So it's set over a Christmas period at, what is it, Sandringham House or something, wherever the Queen yeah. spends Christmas. And it starts Christmas Eve and then does Christmas Day and then does Boxing Day. And that's the whole film. So it's like very slow. And she has lots of conversations with the staff, um, which I just found, yeah, like you say, it was beautifully shot. And Kristen Stewart acted marvelously as. Somebody hear that again? who has said she's a bad actress. I think the reason I think she's a bad actress is because I've never seen her in any roles that suits her specific style. Like I was reading an Atlantic piece that put it perfectly where they said she's always been a good actress, but she's a very specific type of actress. And mm-hmm. that is her exact role mm-hmm. is being that kind of, what is it? Like, like coquettish. Yeah. yeah. So she was really good in that. And she can cry on demand like crazy. Yeah. She looks nothing like Diana, though, which kind of threw me. She just looks so much like herself. She has such a, a specific look that mm-hmm. I couldn't disassociate. But I think she was really good, and I've changed my mind about her being a bad actress. Okay, let the jury see exhibit <laughs> A. I think this movie is, like, very impacted by the context it's come out in in the sense that it's really hard to divorce it from the crown. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel bad for it in the sense because there has been so many attempts to do Diana well there was that movie with Naomi Watts that came out a few years ago, which was like awful. Really? So bad. <laughs> so bad. Oh my God, I want to watch it. Yeah, we should We should have watched it. Fuck we can sake. watch it for next week. That I think people thought it was impossible to do a good movie about Diana. And in that sense, if this didn't have the context of The Crown, I think people would be freaking out so much more at like how delicate and nuanced Kristen Stewart's performance is or how well-written the story is or how it showcases how badly the royal family treated Diana in a way that hasn't really been done on screen before, but I think in the context of The Crown having just come out, Emma Corrin having done such an incredible job crazy. as Princess Diana, it's almost like this whole movie feels like it's existing in that shadow and how good Kristen Stewart's performance is is totally – it's not totally lost, but it's it's lost a bit because it's not that – you know, when actors have this moment where you see how good they are and everyone's blown away, I feel like she's lost that a bit because we've just had that happen with someone that's done it better. Yeah. And The Crown is just so much more um, enthralling yes. than this. Yeah. But what I liked about this film is it's not in any way trying to be a proper retelling of what happened. I quite like that it's just this fictional story based around these events and she hallucinates a bit. I I thought it was depicting her going crazy, which I loved. So Mm -hmm. it showed her, Charles gave her the same pearls for Christmas as he gave Camilla without realizing. And it shows her in one scene 
hallucinating that she rips them off her into her plate of soup when she's at dinner with the queen and then starts eating her pearls. And I was like, this is, these scenes are cool. Mm. But then I found the scenes when she was just speaking with this stupid old man. So boring. I was like, I don't care. It kind of was setting up with that guy. There's a guy who's constantly watching over her that it's almost like, it's like a psychological thriller or something where she's at war with the people in the house and there's all these war references. He's a former commander in chief and the chef who's cooking all of their meals speaks in all these army terms and the army comes in to present the food and uh, all her dresses say POW, which means princess of Wales, but also stands for prisoner of war. And there's kind of this sense that she, it captures this feeling of like, the whole family's against her or she's a prisoner that's being trapped in this warlike situation, which I thought was really interesting because even in The Crown, even though you see she's being mistreated by the palace, there's so much sympathy given to the rest of the royal family, mm-hmm. whereas in this it it didn't try to do that at all. I think it's interesting how it obviously you feel sorry for Diana in it, but at the same time it shows how paranoid she was getting, which for, for good reason, but just how kind of crazy she was. it was sending her being like locked up like that. And also, I liked that it showed the ro- the different roles she played and then kind of how she, at some points, seemed to, like, know the power she had. So at the start, yeah. me and you said that me and we looked at each other and we're just like, what the fuck? This film is going to be absolutely fucked because she walks, she gets lost in the car and then goes into this cafe and then Christian Stewart, like, pauses and does this breathy, slow, really over-the-top portrayal of Diana where she was just like, I'm lost. <laughs> and I was like, what? I like slowly turned my head to Izzy and yeah. I was like, we are in for a fucking horrible two hours. Yeah. And then you realize that she's doing that to to show that she's playing a role as Princess Diana in the public. So mm-hmm. she's coming in and being this person that the public want her to be. Mm-hmm. And then when she's not with the public, she's this completely different person. Yeah. And sometimes it's a, she feels powerful and then other times she feels completely powerless. Yeah. Which is so interesting. So, so interesting. I think that if anything, let the movie down, there was like a few bits in the script that were a bit confused. Like it, it, it had this very specific tone, which was very slow and artistic and almost theatrical. And then there would be these really kind of cheesy moments, especially at the end yes. where I was like, what is going on? And it's like the tone started to shift weirdly Yeah, in a way that I found, I know we both found confusing. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to ruin it for anyone, but there was some hilarious parts at the end. Um, and also some of her outfits were so foul. Yeah, yeah, actually it didn't it didn't come across as considering I think Chanel did all of the costumes, which I found I understand that Kristen Stewart is a Chanel girl and that she's the Chanel girl and that Diana did wear Chanel, but it felt quite spawn conny. Like it was really logo heavy from like the start of the movie, which kind of pulled me out of it completely. Yeah. And also I, I was like, do you, as soon as we left, didn't she stop wearing Chanel famously because of the two C's reminding her of Charles and Camilla? That's just like this known fact. Mm-hmm. And this is in the middle. So this is in the early, oh, I can't actually Late remember 90s, it. Is. I think, yeah. Yeah. When did, no, yeah. Cause she died when I was... She died in 97. Right. So this so would like have been like the early yeah, 90s. mid-90s, yeah. This was right before they got a divorce. So when she was clearly knew about Camilla, I was like, she's not wearing Chanel now. I know. At least get that factual right. yes. And then they went to KFC. This isn't as much of a spoiler. They went to KFC. <laughs> and it looked, 
much of a spoiler. But it is like one of the only times in the movie that she's not at that fucking palace. Yeah. And um, it looks like it was shot yesterday. I was like, can you guys not make it look a bit more like the 90s? I don't know. I was like, did you guys just go to Oxford Circus like yeah, yesterday and shoot this and think it looked... I don't know. I'm like, yeah. surely it would have looked a bit different back then, even though I guess maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. It just pulled me out so much. Mm. Yeah, those weird like tonal shifts that were confusing. And then when it did that, it started feeling a bit, what's the word? Like worthy. Where it was like, she's breaking away from the royal family. And I'm like, this is so much better when you're being complex and nuanced and when you're showcasing everything from her mm. perspective where she's being crazy. There's a lot of things where they were do- drawing all these parallels with Anne Boleyn. And I wondered if that was a real thing because it seemed a bit of a random tangent to go on if she hadn't actually said once or twice that she'd read about Anne Boleyn. Because the idea is that Diana's getting so paranoid that Charles wanted to get rid of her to bring in a new wife that he wanted to be the queen that she started seeing herself in Anne Boleyn and kind of unraveling. But, I yeah, I thought it, I thought it was like a – I really want to just look at it outside of any other context but it feels really hard to do that but i think if you could look at it in a vacuum you'd say it's a really great film do you think kristen stewart will be nominated for an oscar yeah i think she'll be nominated but i don't think she'll win Mm -hmm. not that i know what the other ones are i mean she might sometimes people just win because there's like no one else i know i feel i feel so (laughs) sorry when i think about and there's like really good years and then it's like any of these three people could have won an oscar Exactly. It's like how I think about how Brie Larson won for Room. I'm yeah. like, guys. <laughs> I can't really remember what she was like in that film. She was just fine. Like, this is that thing where there yeah. were so many years where the most amazing women like Glenn Close and stuff didn't and, win. And yeah. she just won because there was nothing in the world that year. Yeah. Or idiot when Frances McDormand's in it. Everyone yeah. must be like, fuck's sake. She's exactly. so good. And even Emma Stone winning for La La Land. Oh, that was crazy. That's fucking random. crazy. I could do that acting in La La Land. I was like, she's just being herself. She's just jumping around, twirling. (laughs) That was so fucked up. (laughs) I know. But what else was there that year? I don't even know. Like, who else she was up against? But yeah, it's interesting how, I don't know, like, I'm finding it interesting, the, the discourse around Kristen Stewart. At the moment, because heaps of people are like, we've always stand her. And then people like me are coming around. And then the Atlantic piece was just talking about how her acting hasn't even changed that much since Twilight when she was dubbed really shit. But what's changed since Twilight is the way she's been able to navigate fame over this time. And the way that because she kind of stays out of the spotlight and stays off Instagram and only talks about her life with really, she's kind of done that amazing thing that only some people manage to navigate properly that like, when you rise so quickly, she was the highest paid actor in the world, age 22. You rise to fame so quickly that people just want to shoot you down, which they did do. And she was like on the list of most hated actresses in the world for ages, but she just rode it out by like not buying into it. She never, she's never even um, publicly distanced herself from Twilight, like Robert Pattinson and stuff has. And now she's kind of like, she's, gone through this vicious celebrity press cycle and people have kind of like i don't know i just find it interesting no it's the, so the she's rebranding such a, of her yeah totally she's such like an unlikely celebrity mm. in the, just even the fact that she is like the when chanel has a show and only one person can go they bring 
Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Like she's yeah. so she's so massive, but so random. But so when you think about it, you're like, why? I don't, it's not even like she's had some major, major, amazing role. This is probably her most acclaimed role to mm. date and even then it feels like a very quiet low-key movie mm. she's just it's so interesting so, yeah. like she's not on the cover of magazines in the way that a lot of mainstream celebrities are if lady gaga's got a movie out obviously she's on the cover of like every vogue and everything or whatever like Kristen stewart doesn't really get that kind of fame oh yeah lady attention. gaga will be another contender maybe yes for the oscars yeah i think she will interesting except her italian accent sounds very bad very questionable gucci <laughs> It's my name too. <laughs> um, Gucci. Okay, wait, what are we going to do next? Oh, Astro World. Okay. Okay, on to Astro World. Big, horrible tragedy that happened this week at Travis Scott's festival. Basically, Astro World is a festival that he's created and tours himself, and he was staging at Houston in Texas. And there was a 50,000-person crowd at his concert at the festival. And there was a crush of people and eight people died. More than 300 were injured. And there's a nine-year-old boy who fell from his father's shoulders, which is horrible, and was crushed. And he's in a coma. So there might be a ninth victim. It's one of the deadliest live music events in U.S. history. So obviously it's been like massive, massive news. At first, you would think there was like not much to say about this apart from the fact that it's awful. But reading about the history of his concerts and his reputation and how like the craziness of his concerts are so tied to his success, yeah, has been really image. interesting. Yeah. yeah, I know. When I when that news broke, I was just I my whole body got chills, and I think it's because it's one of those situations where everyone knows the feeling of being in a crowd like that i i don't know i couldn't ever th- i couldn't think of anything worse mm. than being in the middle of one of those crowds like you're either it's like the, the safest place is either in the front row holding onto the banister or like at where, the back where you can be dragged out yeah by where security, you can be dragged yeah. out by security or at the back and also when you're at the front and you're grabbing onto that banister you you can breathe all the time and you can't mm. you, but even just being like two rows back from that so crazy let alone at a performer where like he encourages crowd surging and encourages this kind of craziness in his sets but even at, when i saw beyonce at coachella we were quite far back because that would have been i don't i don't even know how many wait let me see Beyonce said how many people okay so there was 125,000 people at Beyonce's set and we was the Coachella massive yeah yeah. and we were um far back and still had to leave because my friend started hyperventilating and having a panic attack it's like so it is so scary it's so scary and you never think about people people being trampled to death you don't think of that as something that can happen yeah i remember being at the berlin wall for new year's eve one year and i think that's like 200 oh sorry not the berlin wall the brandenburg gate and i think that's like 200,000 people they have and i remember being in the middle of it and looking out and seeing how far the crowd went fully packed crowd in each direction and I started having a panic attack and yeah. the police had to drag me out and like dump me. I've never been so terrified because a, an ambulance came through to something but there wasn't enough room for all the people to make room for the ambulance so you were lifted off your feet <laughs> to make space for it coming past. And I just thought that how is it possible that this event is even on? But it happens every year. It's like unless something like this goes wrong, 
these kind of crowd situations are just happening all the time and they're just part of. But it's, it's crazy how it's, yeah, when you read more about Travis Scott, so he has in the past been like, what was it? He was arrested after Lollapalooza one year for encouraging the crowd to, yeah, he was arrested after his Lollapalooza set one year for causing chaos. One show I did, he did at the venue I work at. This is someone on Instagram. He encouraged someone to jump off the balcony onto people below. I've had no respect for him since he loves chaos at his concerts. Absolutely loves it. It's like, how is that legal? Like, how have people not seen that in the past and been like, someone's going to die? So what's been interesting about, yeah, people kind of uncovering all these things where it's been a part of his performance persona for ages is to do these crowds is that he's been very celebrated for it in the past in the sense that in his 2019 documentary for Netflix, Travis Scott, look, mom, I can fly, which is an embarrassing name. Yes. He basically talked about how a big part of why people come to see him is because he encourages this thing that he calls quote unquote raging, which is whipping, whipping up mosh pits, crowd surfers and stage divers at his shows, which always teeter on the edge of mayhem. So it's like he is encouraging, especially I think young men to come and like let go of a lot of energy that they have in this arena. And the fact that it's scary and violent and kind of dangerous is part of why people want to come. And the New York Times piece was saying, which I thought was really interesting, that if you actually look at him technically as a rapper, his songs aren't it's, – it's like his music's almost not of the caliber to be as famous as he is. Mm, it's his performances. And as a celebrity, he's like such a bad celebrity in the sense that he has like – I'm sure he has a personality, but he's so <laughs> shy when he's interviewed. He seems to not really have a personality. Mm. He always seems like stoned and kind mm. of mm-hmm. doesn't give eye contact. He's always looking down. And this New York Times piece was saying that the reason he headlines festivals – even though it doesn't kind of suit his level of music or whatever, is because he's so famous for his like live performing. So it's kind of interesting that this is the thing that has like skyrocketed him to being as famous as he is. And now it's probably probably going to be the thing that is his downfall. That's so crazy. Yeah, a concert review from Complex one year was titled I tried not to die at Travis Scott and Young Thug's show last night, oh calling God. the concert the most dangerous safe haven and a turned up fight for survival. A girl who was in the crowd, her Instagram post has gone viral. And when you read it, you feel like physically ill mm. just thinking about how scared it was. She said she got, she said you were trying not to get sucked down and she got sucked down to the ground. And then when she was on the ground, looked around and realized there were all of these bodies oh beside God. her. And so she, someone pulled her back up and then that's when she started screaming, like she was screaming at the top of her lungs. But when the music is playing that loud, it's like, it's so scary because the music would be so loud. You can't even hear the person next to you. Yeah. And she was, she was screaming and screaming and screaming that there were people underneath her and it, like the music just didn't stop for so long because no one understood how severe it was. It's so crazy. That's so terrifying. I also, so he's, Travis is getting backlash because the ambulance was coming into the crowd midway through the set or early on in the set. And he noticed it and said, oh, shit, there's an ambulance. And then he kept playing and then did the whole set, the whole 40-minute set. And the Houston police have since come out and said that they knew that people had died, but they were scared it was going to be a riot if he stopped playing early because the crowd was so manic that they let him play till the end because they thought it would be safer for everyone. And they thought if he suddenly stopped, more people would die from being trampled, which is so messed up. Yeah. Yeah, and the Houston police – person had gone to his trailer allegedly 
before the show to warn him about how crazy the crowd was. It's it's a hard one because it's like that line, I guess, between hyping people up and like the crazy high energy or whatever and how culpable you are for people's deaths seems yeah. very yeah. fuzzy. Yeah. And I like he's obviously said and his family have all said that he's like devastated and I'm sure he is. And when you're doing that stuff, you're so detached from it that you're not actually thinking that no, people you're, you're will get hurt. No, you think someone's going to like, Sorry, that people will die. Yeah. But it does seem kind of incriminating that <laughs> he's attracting people that are going to cause chaos or he's encouraging people to do something. If he'd have just said to everyone, shut the fuck up and stop right now, there's, there are people that are hurt. You all need to, like, calm yourselves. I'm sure there would have been less deaths. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen to him. Some girl is so crazy. A girl died in New Zealand from a house party when the police came. And the police came and everyone was running out of the house party so quickly she got trampled. I was like, it's fucking so scary. Imagine just going to a concert, like your boyfriend or whatever, just going to a concert and then just not coming back. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? And it's like the scariest way to die you can think of. I was listening to a podcast about this happened in the, I think it's 89 in the UK. It's called the Hillsborough Disaster. And it was a football match where the police like totally mismanaged where everyone was being directed and there was just a crush of people trying to all get into this one tiny space and like 180 people died. And for the rest wow. of the day, they were pulling people out of this thing because like it's just so awful, but it's it does happen if people aren't organized. Mm, yeah. And one of the girls said she was pulled out of the crowd because she'd fainted. And when she woke up, she's a nurse and she woke up and she was just like looking around the ER tent and it was just absolute chaos. Like people hadn't even checked pulses on some people. So they weren't getting CPR and then other people were getting CPR who had pulse. Like she was just like, oh my God, what is happening? Yeah. It's just so unprepared. Yeah. So yeah, that's really, really fucking sad. Travis Scott's refunded everyone their tickets. I was like, do more. Do more. Ariana Grande had like a fucking bazillion person perform. I can't believe she actually did that. She's so crazy that she's such an angel. That she like went back to Manchester like three months later and held a huge thing. That's like wild. Can't believe that happened either. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, I don't know how to end this conversation now. <laughs> it's so sad. Well, people – okay, so Travis Scott and Drake are being sued and they're having all these different civil cases against them. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that if they're seen as, like, culpable. Mm. I'm not sure why Drake. I guess he must be a co-organizer. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so Astro World is why Stormy used to have all those crazy fucking birthdays. Or she does have all those crazy – Astro World, Stormy World birthdays, uh, where they put like on like a, a festival. That. Right. So jarred. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Having an Astro World party for your one-year-old? I saw a Daily Mail thing that was like, Kendall Jenner steps out cutting a chic figure days after the Astro World oh tragedy. I was like, Daily Mail, can you please oh, not yeah, she, do that? She was getting in trouble because she didn't delete an Instagram photo of her looking hot. At Astro World, yeah. Oh man, yeah. The Kardashians are—they're just so detached on. from reality that they don't even realize they're being tone deaf. Obviously. Oh well, yeah, Kylie Jenner had up for ages a photo or a video of the ambulance in the crowd. That's mad. Yeah, but I think she just hadn't even like noticed. Very like let them eat cake. But the ambulance was like front and center in, in the photo. The New York Times piece was saying how in the Travis Scott documentary there's all this footage of his concerts and in it there's people that are bloodied or unconscious that are being dragged out of 
mosh pits or that are fighting each other and that it's kind of cut together in this way to showcase how almost to make him look kind of cool or to showcase how like intense and impassioned his things are. It's not like he got all this backlash from that footage coming out. So yeah, the Rolling Stone called him one of his concerts the greatest concert of all time. So interesting. I mean, it's so awful, but it's so interesting. I didn't know any of this about him. No, neither. I know like nothing I about him. I just know him. goosebumps. I just know that he has a baby with Kylie Jenner. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is The Guardian. And now you're in this new phase of your life. You're a writer, indisputably, because you've got this beautiful book that I'm holding in my hands. <laughs> Thank you. I thought it was interesting that in the acknowledgements, you give thanks to Stephanie Danler, who's an author. She read some early drafts of this and told you, yes, you are a writer. Why was it so important to you to hear that? It became clear after reading all the essays that I've internalized a lot of the feelings that I'm not much more than my body. And that's what, you know, my value is. And as somebody who has thoughts and ideas and always wanted that people respected my thoughts and ideas and who I am, it was really hard for me. And I I totally internalized it. On to our final topic and that is a book that we have both devoured over the past couple of weeks and that was Emily Ratajkowski's book My Body which was released this week it is 12 essays one of which was published in the cut buying myself back and was their biggest most read story of 2000 whatever the year was before now 2020 which is crazy and it she kind of covers her childhood, she covers sexual assault and sexual misconduct. She talks a lot about the modeling industry and beauty standards and just all of the ways her body has been used or functions. So to grow a child, to sell products, to make a shit ton of money. And I found it better than I thought I would, the book as a whole. I think there were some essays that were far stronger than others. Some were just so random. I think I left it as someone who who's had like a complicated feeling towards Imrata for ages as kind of liking her a bit more. What did you think? Yeah, I felt the same. So I read this about a month ago because I actually interviewed 
Emily Ratajkowski about this book, but the piece won't come out until December because I think the book's not out in Australia or New Zealand. But yeah, so I I felt the same way where I I think I've been quite cynical about her in the past and was ready to, I mean, I, I like everyone, I really loved that essay she wrote for New York Magazine but I was kind of interested at how far she was going to take those points. But it seems like her thinking has developed a lot on quote unquote choice feminism, which I think is the reason she's been considered controversial in the past is because her thinking always seemed a little bit half baked. baked. She would kind of say, I'm a feminist when I do blurred lines because I feel sexy doing it. Mm. And that so obviously has like such limitations when you question it for five minutes. And in this book, she talks about the fact that she's developed and grown a lot and her opinions on things has changed and it's taken getting older to look back on those experiences and realize that she was nowhere near as empowered as she thought she was and that she was kind of telling herself these stories to make shitty situations feel less shit, which I really appreciated. And I think it's kind of funny that there's been such a two-dimensional discussion around her where it's like, if she wants to do it and she feels good, then that's feminism. And it's like, even she is being like... It's more complicated It's than more that. complicated than yeah. that. It just kind of made me laugh. So I feel the same. I, I walked away with, I feel like, a much more nuanced understanding of her and appreciation for her. But I still think that a lot of the contradictions, which I'm sure she would agree with, exist yes in the book yeah I think what I found the best about the book is when she talks about her own experiences because they are so different to everyone else's Mm. this is like one of the most beautiful women in the world talking about her beauty and her experience as one of the most beautiful women in the world and it's just that is interesting and there are so many parallel like she's talking so much about feeling so insecure and knowing from a young age my favorite one of my favorite essays is the first one in the book where she talks about her mum a lot Mm. and her childhood and her mother's beauty and from such a young age knowing that being beautiful made her special and even her mum who was really beautiful when she was younger like Emily kind of pushing on her as if Emily's beauty was a way to validate her own and just it, it it's so interesting because in so many ways we're so different from Emily Ratajkowski she's obviously like I think you just don't hear from her that side as often as like realizing that obviously she has these crazy insecurities where she still will, will check her Instagram likes to make sure that to like validate herself. And she still has a pit in her stomach when her husband says that another woman is beautiful. All of these really relatable things. I found that the best part. I found it when she tried to kind of go a bit too wide and say the entire book's about capitalism i was like emily shut up (laughs) no a hundred percent i yeah i agree i think it's so many women feel like they're striving towards this beauty ideal and then for someone who's achieved it or who is the beauty ideal that people feel like they're striving towards Mm. to basically say that she too is striving towards a beauty ideal even if it's like against herself is really interesting and just shows how what do you call it? like hall of mirrors it is thinking that getting that will actually well it's hard because I, I think the thing that she's struggling with which is so valid because they're all struggling with it is like what power actually is yeah and we know that beauty gives you power but the power is so often on other people's terms and she has it seems like has really been confused by thinking that things that she thinks are genuine power realizing through experiences later on or looking back that she wasn't actually empowered in that situation and her trying to be honest about that is now her trying to get power again and it's like her sense of what power is 
is almost the thing that she's trying to put her finger on through the whole thing. She thought it was men thinking she was hot and then she realized that that didn't make her feel powerful. So she thought using men thinking she's hot to make money (laughs) would make her feel powerful and then that didn't make her feel powerful. So she thought using the money, like subverting the way that men make money off my hotness to make money for myself by launching a swimwear line so I'm not making money for other men's swimwear brands is powerful and then that's not really working and it's kind of like this thing where she keeps trying to get some sort of answer about yeah the truth about what having power in this society is Mm. and she keeps throwing in that like capitalism is broken but she's so obviously obsessed with money (laughs) capitalism and like thrives so much in that yeah world yeah she said she does this essay about going to like a resort in the Maldives and getting paid to be there with her husband and he said something – he made, like, a joke about her being – I think they were joking about all the rich people and just say – and Emily was saying, oh, we're different from them because we didn't use our money to get here. And he was just like, yeah, but, like, we're still – we're here kind of thing off, like, money, off the back of money. And then – so we are capitalists. And then she was just like, no, and then held up, like, a um quote off her phone that said something like – if you can't beat them, join them or something. Yeah. There is that. I think that's the thing that's interesting about her as well is that she's always trying to critique like the patriarchy and capitalism or like patriarchal capitalism and her way of doing that. This is pretty much her in a nutshell way, way people criticize her, I think, is like her way of doing that is by exploiting it for her own financial and social capital and gain personal gain and yeah. personal gain oh. and she feels like that's gaming the system but for all the rest of us it's just being the embodiment of the system exactly like she represents the system that we are fighting against and she thinks she's fighting against it from the inside by using it to get money where she can yeah. whereas really she's like almost a figurehead for it, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly but i find her getting her head around it and again like realizing that she's 30 she's literally our age so when she was saying these comments that put me off her five years ago that she said she now looks back on and feels like a tenderness towards her younger self who like you say was saying she was empowered in these situations because she genuinely wanted to believe it Mm. and not addressing the fact that Robin Thicke had groped her breasts on set that day and not telling anyone about it because that ruined this illusion that she had power in her own head and she didn't she felt humiliated by it and didn't even want to address it because she wanted to like continue on thinking that she had agency in that situation when she didn't Mm. which is really interesting i found it fucking hilarious when she talked about getting paid to go to the super bowl yes with that billionaire man and he paid her twenty five thousand dollars to go and then she says that there was a couple of other famous people there so a a famous a-list actor popped in and she was wondering how much he was paid to be there and then there were two victoria's secret models there one of whom she doesn't mention by name, but does mention her famous dimples. Yes, the fact that she's married to a tech billionaire. billionaire. So we all know who that is. Yes, and he, the billionaire businessman who paid her is called Joe Lau, Malaysian, who was disgraced and connected to Miranda Kerr, who is <laughs> what the essay is about. I mean, she's not what the essay is about, but she's mentioned in passing. Yeah, so it was hilarious because it talks about how yeah this victoria's secret model was was grinding on the guy and like really really she she said she only had eyes and was only talking to him all night wasn't talking to anyone else and then afterwards that emily left and just thought about that situation and thought 
I can't help but wonder whether those women were actually the smart ones and they were playing the game correctly. It's undeniable. I'm quoting her directly now. It's undeniable there's no way to avoid the game completely. We all had to make money one way or another. So they were the hustlers and I was what exactly? I posted paid Instagram ads for skincare and clothing brands owned by rich men and I was no stranger to commodifying my physical presence, posing next to CEOs in their suits at store opening and parties. Why wasn't I hustling just like they were? And kind of saying we all sell ourselves in different ways and like some in our marriages which is so true and and just like the fact that she sells her image is just thought of as being so negative when we're when we're all just we're all turning our body into an object in different ways like it's tr- the this new york times profile by andrea long Chu says this is as true for the poorest sex worker as it is for the most celebrated actress. It's also true, by the way, for Amazon workers, short order cooks, and my neck hurts as they write this, magazine writers. The experience of becoming an object for pay is so general as to be trivial. But it says, like, the tiny slither of this experience to do with female sexuality should be singled out by feminists. Vicentia reflects, certainly in Radikowski's case, a gratuitous inflation of male powers, scope, and reach. So good. That New York Times profile is like so good, incredible, so well written. I think that those points are so true because I think people want to be really quick to dismiss Emily Ratajkowski and what she has to say as being misguided or silly or or as a pretty girl saying, woe is me, it's so hard to be beautiful. And I think people that do that are just refusing to dig deep on the essence of what she's talking about, which is, yeah, basically – you know, self-commodification, trying to figure out what it is to have power or be powerful in the society without compromising your principles, whether winning the game is making as much money as you can, no matter what the social costs are, or if winning the game is not engaging with it at all, but then no one's going to reward you. for. Like It's a very complicated thing that she's talking about. And I think that the reason she's getting so much coverage you know, a lot of people, a lot of pretty people write books like models and actors and stuff, right? Kind of fluffy biographies that get no coverage. And this book is being covered everywhere, like the New Yorker, the New York Times, the Atlantic, like everyone is trying to get their head around it. And like yeah. even the scope of that New York Times profile is so in-depth and complicated because she is actually touching on these very complex issues and people are just... I think people are just baffled by her because she just refuses to fit neatly into a box of what people expect her to be. And she presents these questions that don't have answers. And so people get frazzled and (laughs) baffled by it and annoyed almost because Mm. they just want to be able to say, no, you're wrong or yes, you're right. And like, there's no, the answer is both and neither. Yeah. Yeah. And even just figuring out as women, like, our power in the world full stop like even just just i don't know because it's, it's even just the way we talk about beauty standards so much but we don't actually talk about beauty that much or even just like the fact that i think what puts us off is emily radikowski just being like i am beautiful mm-hmm. that's a fact and i'm not sorry for being beautiful yes. and everyone's like but you should I don't know. Not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it just feels so in our face. Like even, she was on the Guardians today in Focus, which is like the funniest question ever. The woman just goes, "Do you ever wish you were less beautiful?" And she was like, "No." Yeah. I was like, "Obviously not." Obviously but I love that she doesn't lie yeah. about that. But I think that just freaks people out. Is her putting her body out there and being like, 
I don't yeah exactly it's, it's, just, it's like just it is confusing because um, sometimes I'm like remember when we talked about her ages ago and that um man repeller writer Haley, what's her face did and that newsletter piece we talked about mm. and she talked about how everyone was calling it activism what she was doing but then yeah she'd accumulated mass wealth by writing the very current she's indirectly criticizing mm-hmm. the male gaze female objectification self-commodification and then by writing the piece, she didn't compromise wealth or her general position. So it feels as though it's kind of like you're just saying something's happening. Like you say, you're just saying something's happening, but you're not doing anything about it. But then I think this is doing something about it because it's like causing these conversations. Totally. But it's like she must be so confident that the system's not going to crumble to write this stuff in the first place. Because I think if she wrote something that genuinely risked her losing everything that she's achieved because of her looks – she probably wouldn't do it. Mm. It's like she's doing it from the safety of knowing that like that system is not going to go away anytime soon. And I think that's really interesting. I think maybe the most interesting thing she does is she writes about the fact that under the patriarchy or whatever, beauty system for women, to get power you are handed it by men often who think you're beautiful enough. And that's photographers, people like Robin Thicke, basically all of the gatekeepers that have said you're the hot girl that I want to have sex with therefore I'm going to elevate you to this level and often the idea has been that if someone does that then because you owe your career to them then they have power over you which is why the system is broken but she's basically gone after and named every single one of these men who are like responsible for her career now that she is actually so powerful that she can call them out and she's more socially powerful than them and said I don't give a fuck that that's supposed to be the system. You don't have power over me and I'm going to out you and name you to the world for your behavior. Yeah. And I think that's actually quite incredible. Yeah, me too. And I know she knows she can get away with it. Like everyone she's named, all, like their careers are all in the toilet. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's not like yeah. she's naming. Yeah. I don't know. Like if she named Pharrell or if she named someone else, someone yeah. else that's like people like and is <laughs> successful. Yeah. It might've been a different story. So in that sense, it's thing, but I, I do think how she's spinning that idea on its head is, is very interesting too. Yeah. One of the parts she put in the book is the world celebrates and rewards women who are chosen by powerful men. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of this random TikTok I watched the other day, which was talking about the Kardashians. And it was talking specifically about why Chloe Kardashian has become has gone from being our most loved Kardashian to the most hated. Mm. And then it talks about the way that Kardashian's partners have either elevated them or not and what that's done for their social currency and their fame. So obviously we all know Kim and Kanye. Kanye doted on her. He platformed her as being his princess. He sat for covers of Vogue with her. He pushed her and was like, she is worth it. She's worthy. Everyone loved her. Mm. She completely transformed her career. Whereas Kylie was like the most famous Kardashian for a bit there, dubbed the next Kim. And then Travis has had a baby with her, um, continues to fuck other girls, never posts about her on Instagram, never really does much to like support her or put her in the spotlight. And so she's kind of like dipped out of our sphere a bit which i found and, and oh like they God, did that's it so interesting they now, did everyone's with, obsessed and courtney yeah courtney now because travis is like you are a queen you are everything and like puts her on this platform that we're all like yes holy yeah. shit that's like blown my brain yeah. up i bet that's true for so many celebrities as like yeah that oh, we're 100%. obsessed with yeah even like bella hadid when she was dating the weekend was when we all took notice of her yeah heaps of them probably happened with Gigi hadid yeah. as well yeah 
It's quite crazy. That's terrifying. It's ter- yeah, it's well, terrible. I have thought about that a lot where I'm like, I think the it's still the easiest way for a celebrity to like solidify, a female celebrity to solidify her place in Hollywood yeah, is by marrying someone if famous. Anna Diamas wanted to bust Ben Affleck. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the perfect example. <laughs> yeah. Like all the people we consider completely unexpendable parts of like the Hollywood system are married to another male who uh, is considered like in the center of it. I know. God, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'll find the find the TikTok. And then I found the essay about her high school boyfriend really powerful i found that that was the only essay that made me cry and i found it heartbreaking and so relatable and she talks about being raped as a teenager and how she blamed herself and kept feeling shit because she didn't ever go to the police about him when another girl did and she felt like the other girl had this power and was a strong person and she just wasn't and she just said she felt just humiliated and small for so long and there's just so many experiences i think in her life that so many other women can relate to where it's like of course this is going to accumulate into like what your brain thinks and how you feel in a room of men and like the power, mm-hmm. the power imbalances and just like, it's just, it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And her, when she um talks about going to the Hollywood party with her husband, who's like works in film, which I found funny that she included that. I was like, I'd be worried. Same. I was like, I mean, he obviously must've okayed, okayed it, it, but yeah. yeah, I thought that was really amazing as well. So yeah, she they go to this Hollywood party and she's talking about how her husband is now getting recognized finally in the industry after like 10 years of trying to make it. But Emily is really disillusioned by it now and is, is moving in all these political circles where everyone where she goes to this party and she's like, all the men in this room were hanging out with Harvey Weinstein two years ago. I just find this all so crazy and all so fake and all so fucked up. And then having to like schmooze with them. And they just undermine her constantly where they just make these horrible comments about her or like the uh, an, an agent friend of her husband's makes a comment about you know you're pamela anderson before she got hepatitis c or something so enjoy it which is just such an obnoxiously and this is literally disgusting like thing to within say. the last few years because she just got married yeah and i think that again this is the thing that's so interesting and i think like exciting about her is that she's incredibly well read she's a very very strong writer she obviously thinks deeply about things and she wants to be – she earnestly wants to be taken seriously, but she's also refusing to, like, cut down on the sexy, like, Sports Illustrated hot girl thing one tiny bit. Like, she mm. just won't compromise on it whatsoever. And I think, like, that just But then just she means... said she wore, like, a sexy dress to that party, but then yeah. kept her trench coat belted up all night, which is so relatable. And then she was saying that she's – yeah, she was at that party and she decided a long time ago that she didn't want to act anymore – but she's sitting at that party thinking that everyone thinks she's a failure because she can't act. Yeah. And that everyone thinks she's had a ghostwriter write her book for her. Because you'd just be, like, so frustrated. Yeah. Life is hard for a beautiful, beautiful girl. <laughs> some of it I think we were saying before is, like, I think when you're reading some of it, you feel a bit like this is just someone who's having this experience that almost no one else on yeah. planet Earth has had is, like, just writing through their own issues and that they're not necessarily – don't need to be part of like public consumption because it's like such a unique experience to her. But like you said, in amongst that is like a lot of things that I think people will relate to and obviously has opened up these like really interesting conversations. Is she cute to interview? Yeah. She, yeah. She's cute. That's nice. She's so pretty. 
Is she? Fuck's sake. I felt like a bush pig when she came up because she was like wearing no makeup and like a jumper in her apartment and like the baby was crying in the background. She was just like, hey. And like her agent wasn't on the call. She was like, don't worry about it. And was just talking and was just like, so. I was so surprised she was 30. I was like, you look like you're 22. I know. Wild. It's crazy. She just isn't aging. Mm. Anyway. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.